episode of Neo Reality Collective is brought to you by The Everyday Fan. Check out their content and a passionate group of content creators getting together to create content for the, for the growing community of pop culture, fan base, fandoms, and especially sports such as football, basketball, baseball, professional wrestling, and MMA fantasy sport. Control your content and, set, and set, share your story around the world today. The Neo Reality Entertainment brand expands with a relaunch of the Neo Reality Collective Pop Culture News Talk. Your host, Eric Brown, gives his insights and thoughts in the ever-expanding news world of comic books, professional wrestling, gaming, TV, and movies. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa. Hey everyone, this is your host Eric Brown of Neo Reality Collective. We're back after extent after about nearly two weeks. Uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I am going to grind myself this week into the dirt, mostly because I got three episodes I need to plan out. I already have two already f- f- stored up and filed up in my Instapaper list of all the articles I need to talk about. But it's going to be a hefty one. Uh, there's a ton of news that came out over the last subsequent few days that it would be so big, it would probably be like about as big as that three-hour video I did on, uh, or during the early days of series two of this podcast um, <laughs> probably for the best I didn't do that again but because of this I went ahead and decided to break the episodes into two then Xbox game showcase happened and therefore I had to break it into three and now I have the third one in progress and I'm planning to do the other two completed work soon and it's it's a big hefty one we had the summer games fest we had the Xbox game showcase we had the PlayStation showcase we had a whole bunch of crazy news going on in the industries that that I follow um <sighs> It's just insane timing. Very insane timing, and I think that's partially because there's no E3, and there'll probably never be an E3 again after this year, after this year's cancellation happened. So we're going to be busy probably for a while with this. But um, let's get right into things. Right away, we got a whole bunch of things to talk about for this episode. So Tom Holland had announced that he is taking a break from acting after the new show, It Did Break Me. So, um, it seems like this show broke him. Convenient. Anyways, Tom Holland is taking a break from acting after an apparently pretty grueling role in his new Apple TV Plus series. Holland opened up about the experience in a new interview with Extra, admitting that filming the crowded room made for a tough time in a psychological thriller. He plays a character named Danny Sullivan, based on Billy Milligan, who's arrested for a shocking crime and whose life is investigated through a series of interviews. Holland's also an executive producer on the crowded room, saying... We were exploring certain emotions I had certainly never experienced before. On top of that, being a producer, dealing with the day-to-day kind of problems that come with any film set just add the extra layer of pressure. We were exploring certain elements, so like, 
Yeah, and while he said that he ultimately enjoyed the new challenge for producing, it was undeniably a taxing role. I really enjoyed it, but then again, the show did break me. There did come a time where I was like, I need a break. I disappeared. I went to Mexico for a week. I had some time on the beach and laid low, and now I'm taking a year off, and that's the result of how difficult the show was. It's true that Holland's acting slate is pretty clear for the next few years. The only project on the docket, including a Fred Astron biopic, and it's unclear where that movie is in development currently. And Spider-Man 4, which likely won't start filming for quite some time, and it's also dealing with the whole uh, writer's strike going on in this. Marvel Studios' Kevin Feige said in February that his writers had just started up to put pen to paper on the sequel, and Holland confirmed just last week the development was paused in solidarity with the ongoing writer's strike. The Crowd Room premiered on Apple, Apple TV on the Friday of that week with three episodes. <laughs> Man, that must be... So, yeah, Tom Holland's going to be off for a while, and while he is set for other big things soon, yeah, I, I think it'd be best to take a break, especially when you're trying to t- test out some new things and new experiences that you've never tried before. Uh, I hope the best for Tom Holland's recovery and mental state, and hopefully he comes back better than ever. I'd rather see him take a break and be gone for a little bit than be gone forever. So, Ahsoka has set an official release date of August 23rd on the streaming platform Disney Plus during his TV spot that was revealed, where they're once again bringing up Heir to the Empire book, making me want to say, hey, will you, uh, Make me just recanonize the legend storyline as just so I can have not be infuriated every single time when I have to watch these modern canon D- Disney shows because it's all going to lead to the miserably, miserably reviled sequel trilogy. I mean, like the first one was just okay and very played safe, but the other two were very problematic. But uh, yeah. Despite Rosario Donaldson trying to her best to manifest the season two, it has not yet been greenlit. Uh, it also features the characters of the late Ray Stevenson as Balin Skull and various other characters going ahead, going ahead, including the return of Thrawn, Sabine Wren, and Ezra Bridger. So, from what I did hear, apparently that they're going to have several episodes that focuses on the aftermath of the Rebels series that happened on Disney's channel, and then they would focus on the whole th- remaining stuff, plot elements, of, and focus on Ahsoka in the last half. That, that's the last thing I recall hearing, but that probably could have been reordered around. And that I might have said it wrong. But, um, yeah... He also says that fans who haven't watched The Clone Wars will be able to jump right into it. Dave Filoni said that, and I was just like, on that opinion, like, how? Is it going to have flashbacks? I'm like, I know Hayden Christensen set to come back as Anakin in this. I assumed he was going to be a Force ghost, and if there are going to be flashback sequences, then people are going to want to probably get into wanting to know more about The Clone Wars series. But, um, it's going to be, um... It's going to be a thing. Speaking of crazy things and cell references, the Flash movie that's coming out soon is set to... How do I say this delicately? It's set to feature James Gunn in the universe because um, they reference... They showcase a poster in the movie of Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed, which James... Gun wrote, so that's saying a lot. 
And that means he's canon in this universe. I gotta be honest. That probably wasn't worth it. Considering I've been hearing the mixed reception now of the of the Flash movie. And... Yeah, I'm just like, oh god. James, you have you should have called it quits on this. You should have scrapped the movie, start fresh. I'm like Shazam 2. I'm like, granted, you could make the Army Black Adam cost. It's not so successful box office projections, but I would also say the fact that you were rebooting the universe and you weren't really giving us real context if if uh Sazam and Blue, or Blue Beetle more than likely could be canon in the new DCU, but like we didn't get any context with the Shazam movie because we don't know certain actors are going to still be their characters or if their stories will continue, especially after Wonder Woman showed up at the last minute. So, yeah, we're, we're kind of in this stumped situation with that. So, yeah. So James Gunn is now canon in the DCU or the DCEU, and well, let's be real, it's probably not gonna go well. So more actors guilds and SAG AFTRA members have voted to potentially strike if no fair deal is reached by June 30th, so we're probably all screwed. The Actors Guild announced on Monday that the majority of its members supported the strike authorization with 97.91% end of a vote ahead of the TV theatrical negotiations with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which starts on Wednesday, June 7th. The Guild is pushing to negotiate a deal that involves restrictions of the use of AI and higher streaming residuals, among other things that threaten the livelihood of actors working in Hollywood. If a deal isn't reached by the end of the month, they will move to strike. Can we just... Um, like, for me, AI is just, like, at best, AI can be a benefit if done right. In my humble opinion, and this is just my opinion, I feel like AI could be used to just be a conceptual thing design. Like, you can conceive certain ideas and concepts that you don't want to pay a ton of money for that may not, may not work out in the end. I think AI could work for that. Also, for memes and shit postings on Twitter. Like, I've seen some, and it's hilarious. But making AI the actual main focus, like, for voice acting, for movie making entirely to be shown on the big screen or in Blu-ray and DVD is just messed up. Well, uh, according to the National Executive Director and Chief Negotiator Duncan of the SAG-AFTRA's group, said, I could not be more pleased with this response from the membership. Yep. This overwhelming yes vote is a clear statement that it's time for an evolution in this contract as we enter what may be the most co consequential negotiations in the union's history, inflation, dwindling residuals due to streaming, and the generative AI all threaten actors. This strike authorization means we enter our negotiations from a position of strength so that we can deliver the deal our members want and deserve. And this comes six weeks after the Riot's Guild of America went on strike, and the strike has brought writing duties in Hollywood to a screeching halt until it reaches a deal for writers to receive wages that better reflect television streaming landscape, as well as a minimum writer's room sizes and protections against artificial intelligence technology. I mean, like, the thing I heard when this whole thing happened was that Hollywood decided, okay, so, the writers are on strike, what should we do? Uh, work it out with them and meet at the meeting room and come to new agreements? Nah, that's lazy. Let's be even more stupid. Nah, that's too nice. Let's be stupid. Let's have AI scripts. What? 
we just make a bunch of dummy scripts with AI, and we get the writers once the deal goes through, once we work things out, out, and they can fix the scripts. But wouldn't it make more sense to just work it out with the act with the writers and soon the actors if we have the situation? If I wouldn't this be proving their point about our executive problems? Screw you, we're Hollywood, we're above the law. Also, uh So they decided the Detective of America decided to go ahead and reveal the unexpected age of Bowser. The, the ages of all the characters in Super Mario's Bros. franchise has remained a mystery since 1985. However, the Nintendo America revealed that Bowser's age in the most, in the most hilarious way possible. Through a po YouTube video post on Friday, though still unlisted, showing Nintendo Switch owners had to create an account. Uh, mentioning how you have to be 18 or older at the time of the account creation, the company used Bowser as an example for demonstration to make it seem as though he's making a Nintendo account for himself, saying his birthday to February 5th, 1989, which puts his age at precisely 34 years old. Wait, isn't that mean he's six years... Wait, but that means he's nearing... Like, Strangers has been around since the four, since for 40 years, and, uh... Okay, I have questions later. So, they decide to reveal that... Uh, so And also, Bowser's Jr., the son of Bowser, yeah, is 13 years old. <laughs> oh, God. We're, we're really reaching this. Shigeru Miyamoto, who I feel like has more credentials to prove this, said in a 2005 interview that Mario is somewhere between 24 and 25, and Luigi is the same age. That means they're nearing the twins' age. My god. So, we got confirmation, everyone. Bowser is canonically 34 years old. Hmm. Anyways, uh... <laughs> Speaking of things that, things that were recently revealed and unveiled, um, Captain America 4, which was originally going to be called New World Order, New, 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 New World Order, has now been renamed to Brave New World, set for May 3rd, 2024. Marvel hasn't shared a reason for the title alteration, but it follows some controversy about the former New World Order title and its ties to an infamously anti-Semitic real world conspiracy with many fans subjecting the use of the subtitle after its reveal at the San Diego Comic-Con of last year. Uh, however, Captain America 4 director Julius Ona told IGN that the New World Order title referenced Sam Wilson and the decisions he's going to have to make and the situations he's going to be confronted with, knowing that the world has changed around him and he's a changed man. Okay, I initially thought, um, I initially thought, uh, New World Order was gonna be, like, like, a faction group that was good, that, that, like, it's been said the Cobra Society's involved in this movie. I was on the opinion that they were going to just make this and whatnot and call it, we're gonna make a New World Order and it's gonna be Captain America taking on the Cobra Society to, you know, stop the New World Order and make way for the Brave New World. I mean, like, that would have made more sense. That made, made that made sense to me, not just the tiles are reference to stuff that goes on from Cat Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, okay. 
But um, yeah, new Captain America title. Hooray, everybody. So, hi, Jason Sue. So, Microsoft has been forced to pay $20 million by the FTC over illegally collected children's information on F- Xbox. So, yeah, according to the FTC press release, children were able to create an account to use Xbox services by entering details including their first and last names, email addresses, dates of birth, and even their mobile numbers up until late 2021 into the online form. Um, Only once all the information has been entered were the minors asked to involve their parents, who were then going to complete the form and create the account. However, between 2015 and 2020, Microsoft found to have retained the information of children in instances where their parents did not complete the creation process, therefore did not consent to data collection. In certain instances, this information was held for years, despite COPPA maintaining a provision that such data must be retained for no longer than it is reasonably necessary for fulfilling the purposes of which it was collected. Okay, I have two questions. Actually, several. Uh, one, why does Microsoft need this data? I mean, like, it's granted it's a corporation. I'm pretty sure I could take several guesses why. Two, uh, Microsoft went ahead and attributed the lengthy data retention to a technical glitch while noting it, that it was going to be policy to have safe such information over a period of 14 days. The issue has since been fixed, and Microsoft assured players that the data in question was never used, shared, or monetized. Um... I think saying between 2015 to 2020 and saying, oh, this was a technical glitch and never noticing it, it is cause for concern. A great cause for concern. Anyways, before I go rant, before I go mad, uh, I do have one other question. Um, if the parent, if the child is creating the account, couldn't they have also just faked their age, like? a lot of people do like this has been a common thing that they say can you confirm that you're 18 and over uh no okay to get out and then the kid would basically go ahead and put on a disguise that makes them look older but not really but be clearly noticeable that they're faking it and they were just like oh you can come in like (laughs) oh man Alongside the $20 million fine, the proposed settlement will require Microsoft to implement numerous changes as to how it handles user information and create player accounts. A proposed order makes it easier for parents to protect their children's privacy on Xbox and limits what information Microsoft can collect and retain about kids. The FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection, Samuel Levin, and this action should also make it abundantly clear that kids' avatars, biometric data, and health information are not exempt from COPPA. Microsoft account creation now requires the user to input the date of birth first, and if they are under 13, obtain a verified parental consent before further information is entered. Furthermore, all account holders under the age of 13 who made an account before May 2021 will need to get parents to re-verify the parental consent. Or, you know, they could probably lie. I'm like, let's be real, they'll probably lie even from this. So yeah, this is the part of the saga regarding the Microsoft proposed merger of Activision Blizzard, which is uh, which is set to have a preliminary hearings for the case are set to begin in August later this year. Meanwhile, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse movie that came out, awesome. 
uh, and I've been hearing great, great content reviews about that. It announced that it almost had a huge live action sequence. <laughs> Say, revealing that the directors on there said that they originally planned to go beyond those live action clips, saying they were there were times where we had a huge live action sequence in the film and it just turned into a bad joke. We had even bigger ambitions. There were so. Yeah, even if we didn't like it anymore and we just said, okay, enough, let's make sure that's something precise that gets the most bang for your buck and speaks to the story. They would never reveal, they haven't revealed what those plans were, but it sounds like they were canned fairly early in the process, only existing as storyboards and animatrix, which cut out versions of the characters dubbed by crew members. And the power said uh, they had the look of like of a South Park character and that we should do that as a character. So. Yeah, they're doing pretty well in the box office, so uh Yeah, it's a fault it's a classic for many. Meanwhile, community star Joel McHale says movie was pretty down close to filming before the writer's strike. So community's dream of having six seasons in the movie is currently a little bit delayed due to the writer's strike. Saying they had a shooting date coming up, we were going to be in the summer, I think they were extremely close to. I mean, Dan is somebody that tweaks things, but obviously that's all stopped. But I think it was pretty darn close. It was close, the shoot date was coming up, and we were all excited to do it. Then the writer's strike community happened, which obviously put everything on hold, and rightfully so. The writers are asking for very reasonable things. Writers need to be paid properly. And previously reported that community would begin filming in June. On top of that, the team had already had a good idea what they wanted to direct for the movie, who they wanted to direct it. I know who wants to do it and we're talking to, Ooh, and it's interested and engaged, Mikhail said. But as of yet, no one has officially signed on to direct besides Mikhail, other cast members, this is Danny Houdon, Allison Brie, Gillian J Jacobs, Jane Rash, Ken Jeong, I'm pretty sure I pushed almost all of those names, all confirmed to reprise their roles. And there are some people that may not be confirmed and have not and are unlikely after a public falling out with the show, such as Chevy Chase. And even though they have not signed on yet, McCallum believes Harmon is going to get everybody on board. And Joel, Joel McHale's cried like a baby at the film script, so clearly something happened. So. The Apple WWDC 2023 keynote press presentation conference event happened, and they revealed a bunch of whole bunch of technological advancements, such as the Apple AR VR headset called the Apple Vision Pro. I had watched the Angry Joe reaction to it, and it looked impressive. It, it, it looks impressive, but um, I'm pretty sure it, having it priced at three thousand five hundred bucks when you have the PlayStation VR headset two coming out that like only five hundred bucks, I think people are gonna try and not do that. Also, I would like to bring this up and point this out, um, but I'm pretty certain. Uh, I wouldn't buy it for myself, not because it's expensive. That's definitely one of the reasons I won't buy it. But the other reason is because, well, how do I say this delicately? I don't want to get a headache. But yeah, it's a pretty ambitious plan they're trying to do here with the Apple Vision Pro. But yeah, I don't think it's going to do well in terms of its sale at that price point for at least a while, especially in this economy nowadays. There will also be a new Mac... 15-inch MacBook Air coming at at $1,300 and will be available soon. 
Moon, and the 13-inch MacBook Air also dropped by $100 with the release of the new 15-inch version. We got another Mac Pro with the M2 Ultra chip, and that will be priced at $7,000, which is more expensive than the prior model from 2019. Shocking. Also, the Mac Studio is getting an upgrade with the M2 Max chip, offering up to a 25% boost compared to the M1 Max. Apple also announced an upgrade with the M2 Ultra chip that features an even bigger 30% boost of the M1. This new chip brings to faster video editing, rendering, and better 8K streaming. The new Ultra chip can also support up to six displays, making it ideal for the ultimate creative experience. The Mac Studio pricing will be at $2,000 and will start shipping on June 14th which is about two days from now at the time of this podcast and you can order it now at the Apple Store. Also, Death Stranding Director's Cut is coming to the Mac. So that's awesome. They're also trying to see if they can bring more games to the to the Mac to the Mac platform. So that's awesome. They also revealed the big updates for the iOS, iOS 17, iPad iOS, Mac OS Sonoma. And all that, tvOS 17, watchOS 10, visionOS. It's part of their new ambitious plan with focus heavily integrating 3D video sound, other accessibility stuff, voice authentication, and voice duplication because technology needs to be as creepy as possible. Yeah, but yeah, seems like they're having a lot of ambitious plans and we'll see how that works out in the end, but uh, yeah, I'm still having my concerns. Diablo 4 has been released, and Blizzard has confirmed two massive expansions are in development. Speaking with Kind of Funny Games, Ferguson said, As I sit here, we're about to launch the main game. We're finishing up Season 1, and we're working on Season 2. We're working on Expansion 1. We're kicking off Expansion 2. We're working on that now, and we haven't even launched the game. Blizzard's two expansions already puts Diablo 4 ahead of its processes in terms of post-release content. Both 2 and 3 of Diablo have each received one major expansion apiece, though both continue to be well supported by patches and other content updates. Blizzard has said that Diablo 4 will be updated for years after launch and has already revealed a robust, robust roadmap going forward. But be warned, this is Activision Blizzard, so don't trust them. Meanwhile, despite the, um, from what I heard, rather mixed response to the Hocus Pocus 2, they already have a Hocus Pocus 3 in the works at Disney. Oh no, so terrible. So, props. Also, the Inquisitors are coming back for the Ahsoka series, so that sounds awesome. Not really, but I had my own opinion on that front. Meanwhile, Diablo 4 Community debates Dungeon Reset button as players fight to get on Blizzard's Lilith statue. Yeah, action role-playing specialist Karn was the first to hit the maximum level in the permadeath-infused hardcore mode using a method that sparked debate amongst the Diablo community. I'm not going to explain that part just yet, but um, apparently... If you reach a hardcore level of 100, you basically get this bit powerful statue and someone did get it it's just uh using a questionable method that they're debating over but uh yeah Meanwhile, Studio Ghibli has their legendary director and creator of many beloved projects, Hayao Miyazaki, has announced his final film called How Do You Live? Set to release on July 14th, uh, 
Guess what came out about their plan? So, Studio Ghibli decided to be very ambitious in their plan by making only... Their marketing tactic is very ambitious. They're only going to do a single poster. What? Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, How Do You Live is set to be uh, Hayao Miyazaki's final big film after previously announcing coming out of retirement from that, and it's set to be his final feature-like project, though details have been remained scarce. Hayao Miyazaki Suzuki uh, also came out and said, however, describe the film as a fantasy on a grand scale. How Do You Live is loosely inspired by a Japanese author, I'm not going to pronounce it, uh, his name, because I was hard to do and I couldn't do it. Based on a 1937 novel of the same name, which tells the story of a 15-year-old in the aftermath of his father's death, the young boy goes to live with his uncle and finds himself living life very differently. How Do You Live is set to be released to Japan on July 14th. There is no set for international release film as of yet. I'll give them credit. They're certainly ambitious in the marketing department. <laughs> Let's hope Hayao Miyazaki goes out with a literal bang with this movie and not a, not a, not a whimper. So, also, Insomniac Spider-Man 2 coming out next, coming out in the in September is set to also feature. Um, uh, is set to also featuring in the mechanic that uh, shows secret gameplay that was shown in Across the Spider-Verse, bizarrely. So yeah, they sh someone some eagle-eyed fans managed to find that. Um, Marvel Spider-Man 2 gameplay can be seen in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which shows Peter Parker getting all acrobatic against the unknown foe, while also using mechanical limbs reminiscent of the Marvel Cinematic Universe of Spider-Man's instant kill mode. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, if this is the case that Spider-Man... And they have canonized MCU Spider-Man bringing up how... Uh, how Spider-Man 2099 said, "Don't even give me star on the big nerd and Doctor Strange and Earth 1999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
So Hamill sat down with Wire to answer the web's most searched questions about himself, including one how he secured the role of Joker. He explained that the controversy around Keaton's casting in Tim Burton's 1989 Batman movie inspired him to try out for the role, saying there was a big outcry that Michael Keaton was going to play Batman, and oh, he's Mr. Mom, he's a county actor. I mean, they hadn't even seen him, and they didn't realize how great he would become, but there was great controversy. So when I went in, I thought, you think they're going to hire Luke Skywalker to play the Joker? The fans will lose their mind. I was assured that I couldn't be cast, I was completely relaxed. I knew I couldn't get the part, so who cares, the actor noted. And I dove, drove out of the pocket off thinking, that's the best Joker they'll ever hear, and it's too bad they can't cast me. And as soon as they did cast me, it, re it reversed, and I was like, oh no, I can't do this. And, you know, he's now the iconic Joker from Batman. In fact, for many, he is the definitive Joker for many. And, <laughs> yeah. Mark Hamill also said in an interview with the CBS Sunday Morning that, yeah, he's ready to stop playing Luke Skywalker, saying, I had my time, and that's good, but that's enough. Well, and though the interview pressed on further whether he could return, saying, well, you never say never, I just don't see any reason to, let me put it this way. I mean, they have so many stories to tell, they don't need Luke anymore. I mean, like, I would have also quit if I was butchered to the extreme in the most annoying way possible to make way for the greatness of Rey Skywalker Palpatine. Because we need the forcibly archaic character development. Meanwhile, Microsoft at that showcase promised no full CG trailers for showcasing first party games. We'll see how that goes when I get to that episode. And Sony's boss continues to talk about cloud gaming as if that still matters regarding this whole, whole Microsoft Activision Blizzard talk. But uh, yeah. We'll, we'll get back to that. Meanwhile, Insomniac reveals how Spider-Man 2 handles character switching. Speaking to Eurogamer following Spider-Man 2's 10-minute gameplay in the latest PlayStation Showcase, the director, the creative director Brian, explained how the game handles switching between the characters and how a lot of it is made possible thanks to the power of the PlayStation 5. When you're playing the main story, we control... Well, when, we, when you switch between Pete and Miles, it's done in service to the story that we're making those switches, for sure. So as you saw that gameplay, which is a segment of the main story, we are predetermining those based on what we do want, want to do for the story and how the story plays out. We have content designed around Peter, we have content designed around Miles, and we have content where you can play either. You'll be able to, in the open world, freely switch between the characters with a simple button press. Being able to switch in the open world so quickly between two characters is really, really awesome. Just being able to pick up and choose who I want to play as for cer certain activities, it's been so awesome to have that feature. It's something that we probably wouldn't have explored previously. And they also brought up and Ryan Smith, director, game director of, of Spider-Man 2, then touched upon the fact that there will be not only be a dedicated skill tree for both Miles and Peter, but there will also be one shared between the two superheroes, saying we want to make sure that when you do switch between the characters, there's a sense of familiarity. They're both Spider-Man, thus ending the debate hopefully one day. God damn it. You know how to play the game, but you still have that flexibility and that customization for upgrading each of them with their skill trees. We saw in the gameplay reveal that Miles has evolved Venom powers, whereas Peter has the symbiote abilities. So those those changes those change a bit of how you play, and you can upgrade those in their respective skill trees as well. And I was like, 
Oh, this is gonna be pretty awesome. They also talked about how they how they created a borderline brutal venom suit, nine brand new details from the showcase trailer, and how the sequel map is actually twice the size of the original because we're insane asylum maniacs. Speaking of insane asylum maniacs. Aspire Media has announced that they are canceling and pulling out the Restore Content DLC for the Switch version of the Star Wars Nazi The Royal Republic 2 Switch The Sith Lords. Saying, sadly, today we're announcing the Restore Content for the DLC for the Nintendo Switch version will no longer be moving forward for release. However, Aspire is ready to do right, trying to do right by fans wanting those who purchased the game before this announcement receive a complimentary game on Switch. The complimentary game includes Nazi The Republic, Force Unleashed, Republic Commando, Episode 1 Racer, Jedi Knight Jedi Academy, and Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast. There's also an option to get a Steam version of the Star Wars Nazi The Republic 2 update. To receive your game key, people must visit supportaspire.com and then submit a request along with a proof of purchase. The Restored Content DLC was a fan volunteer effort to mod the in missing content for the Old Republic 2, as well as fix technical issues. It was officially endorsed by Aspire Media back in 2015. Aspire has been working on a remake of the first first um, Knights of the Old Republic game. However, back in 20, August of 2020, they don't report it on pause due to... Lucasfilm and Sony being disappointed in, the, in an internal demo. Now reportedly, now reportedly, the development has shifted from Aspire to Saber Interactive. Okay, one of the rumors I kept hearing from crazy, from the Star Wars community was that apparently they were not really impressed with the internal demo. Not because it was bad, but because they were actually going ahead and fulfilling what, a re, what this remake was supposed to be about. Character creation, character story, RPG, telling us, tell, allowing you to choose your own destiny like Bioware did it and Disney and Sony hated that because Disney hates everything that's good and joyful in life so yeah also the upcoming Barbie movie oh god damn it I, I talked to this with my mom she looked at it and thought it's gonna be suck it's gonna be bad and I was like really I haven't watched the trailer I don't care about Barbie but Sarah Greenwood decided to inflict pain upon the painting industry by causing by using so much pink paint that it caused an international shortage. <sighs> oh God damn it! Oh god! Like everyone was saying that, it, that this was going that they thought. Uh, I initially thought all the most a majority of the pink was going to be CGI with color saturations and all that just to give it that extra flair. But no, they said no. We could use all the damn pink paint in the universe to tell my damn story. God damn it! And. Yeah, they cripple the paint industry by causing a global shortage. The world ran out of pink, Greenwood said. My God, what is wrong with you people? Meanwhile, Disney Plus is going to lose more content because it's part of their strategic change and as a result of removing certain content from its platforms. And they're probably going to move it around. They even removed... Um, and it's part of Bob Iger's uh, strategic realignment plan to lay off 7,000 employees in order to cut back $5.5 billion in costs. This came after Disney Plus saw first quarterly subscribers loss at the end of 2022. They also, 
they also uh, they also revealed that uh, Disney Plus and Hulu will be available in a one-app experience by the end of the year. Hooray! But I'm that guy that's sitting in the background being like, so what's going to be removed? What's not going to be removed? And are you going to ever release these on Blu-ray or do something interesting? Or are you going to just make people pirate it more? (laughs) Probably the latter. Meanwhile, Street Fighter VI has already broken a major Steam fighting game record. Capcom's latest entry in the franchise has already become Steam's most played fighting game of all time by a concurrent player count. At 9 a.m. PT this the morning of June 2nd, Steam's database numbers show that 66,000 people were playing Street Fighter VI on Steam alone, according to industry analysts. On Twitter, the figure has broken Steam's all-time concurrent record for fighting games by nearly double. The last one was Mortal Kombat 11 with 35,000. My god... The fools, what have they done? Now Mortal Kombat 1's gonna have to really take it to the extreme. So um Remember when it was announced that Dolphin was gonna come to Steam like right the hell out of nowhere? And then it was and then it suddenly got um cease and desist order from Nintendo. Turns out Valve reportedly notified Nintendo of, of Dolphin's emulator Steam release to avoid hot water itself. According to copies of, of emails obtained by The Verge, Valve brought Dolphin emulator to Nintendo's attention to avoid getting into legal trouble itself. As The Verge pointed out, Valve likely raised the concern to Nintendo to prevent itself from getting into legal trouble. Nintendo has deemed Dolphin as an illegal emulator, emulator partially because of its use of cryptographic keys that are unauthorized by Nintendo. I also cited the DMCA and whatnot, and Val in a statement to the Verge, Val confirmed his involvement and know they will cease distributing the material until the parties tell Val that they have resolved their dispute. Given Nintendo's prominent history against his, against emulators, however, it is unlikely that the dispute will see a proper resolution. Okay. If Valve was so... So Valve decided to rat them out. Like, this is some sort of sting operation by Valve and Nintendo. Like, okay, we need you to hunt down all the emulation technology as payback for what you did with the Steam Deck. And this is my response. Why didn't Valve just tell the people who made the Dolphin and Steam emulator uh, to just not make it for Steam? Or was that just asking too much? God damn it. Aquaman, the Lost Kingdom, and the Lost Kingdom director, uh, James Wan, came out and said that was asked how how this will affect the pre-existing DC projects, and they said that it hasn't been affected too much by the DCU reset. Set for release on December 20th, 2023, which is catching up all of Atlantis and Aquaman and all that. While Juan admitted that it's been challenging to keep track of the many versions of the DCU, he also spoke to the standalone nature of Aquaman's journey. I've had to make adjustments all along the way. The DCU has been through lots of different versions, and one of these things that was a challenge about this film was keeping track of what's going on. Unfortunately, the Aquaman universe is pretty far removed from the rest of the world. We're going to many different underwater kingdoms that are not necessarily related to what's happening with the other movies and characters. So we're standalone in that respect. So I could just tell... 
of my story on its own without being affected too much, but at the same time, I have to be mindful about what's been happening. Fortunately, the awkward... So, yeah. They basically say, uh... That a lot of this stuff won't affect the movie and how it hasn't been affected by the DCU reset. Uh, I don't know if Aquaman James Momo- Jason Momoa is going to continue, but apparently he don't, he will be still Aquaman, but he might not be Aquaman. Yeah, it's so complicated. Meanwhile, executive producer Rick Fumoria, I'm pretty sure I butchered that name again has come out and said that certainly coming is Mandalorian Season 4. Speaking to Deadline, explained that it's hard to pinpoint when the next season will arrive thanks to the complex collection of different Star Wars shows being made, but that would definitely be coming eventually. I honestly was on the opinion that Season 4 was going to come after that big movie event by Dave Filoni, which may be in fact tying in all the shows that are set around after the original trilogy to give way to the Heir to the Empire storyline. Like, that was my initial thought. Like, all this, that season four would come out after Star Wars movie, Heir to the Empire, or the, or the lesser than the Thrawn trilogy, and definitely not going to have Mara Jade in it, unfortunately. But I always assumed that season, I knew season four was already going to be made because they already confirmed that Jon Favreau has already written the scripts, but I was on the opinion that that was going to be coming, like, after Heir to the Empire was released in theaters. Also, because Diablo 4 has to have a sucking issue going on, uh, those who paid for the $90 Digital Deluxe Edition or the $99 Ultimate Edition of the game, the PlayStation players are reportedly finding an error that locks them out of the early access. Yeah, that was worth it. So, yeah. Also, far more Star Wars Jedi Survivor players lowered the difficulty rather than raised it because of the uh, statistics, that, because of the default difficulty. Jedi Knight was the most popular, played by 52% of the players. Meanwhile, Story Mode and Jedi Padawan made up for 29% of the players. The hard difficulties Master and Grandmaster, which were more rare, made for a combined total of just 18%. Only 4% of those players played Jedi Survivor on his hardest difficulty. Hilariously, uh, 489 players were defeated by Rick the Door Technician, a sort of boss that appears early in the game, which is felled just as easily as the regular Scout Trooper. Because that's a thing. Uh, yeah. Oh, and they've also killed 2.8 billion people in the Star Wars in Star Wars Jazz Survivor, so I'm pretty sure there's some something to be said about that. Meanwhile, the Riders Guild of America has sent out a clear message to Hollywood producers. Their chance to divide and conquer among the industry's various guilds won't work. Staying in deadline that the in the email, the Riders Guild leader says that the now month-old writer's strike won't end in the Directors Guild of America, reaching a deal with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, and essentially forcing the WGA to accept it as well. Based on the way the historic strike of 2007 to 2008 ended, will not happen again. We vow not to fall for the same trappings as the last strike. We will make history and defeat the vile enemies of the state. Meanwhile, Oppenheimer will be Christopher Nolan's, um, Oppenheimer, uh, whatever, will be Christopher Nolan's first R-rated film in 20 years since the days of 2002's Insomnia. And also the longest. So... Yeah, that big biopic about the creation of the atomic bomb, the guy who helped make it, 
and the historical implications and destructive devastation that happened. And also, um, Christopher Nolan being a complete lunatic by saying he created the, the devastation of the first atomic bomb without using CGI technology because he's insane. And luckily we're at the hellacious thing of nuclear fallout. Are you fucking crazy, man? It will hit theaters on July 21st, same day as the Barbie movie. So, yeah, I know what movie I would be watching. Meanwhile, Verizon offers first bundle to combine Netflix, Paramount Plus with Showtime, and it's eerily similar to cable. Probably because all the streaming platforms are getting super, super expensive, and they need to bundle everything out just to make some effective costings. Meanwhile, the director of Thor Love and Thunder and Thor Ragnarok uh, came out and announced that the Star Wars film is still missing its middle. Just during an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, he gave a brief update on his upcoming Star Wars and project and suggested it's still in its early days, saying, I've got a really good idea for it. It's just with all this, with all this films, it's like this middle part. You're like, what's going to happen? And then you look at all those films that are so great, and you're like, well, I guess they can't meet some smuggler with an alien sidekick. So yeah, back in April, Kathleen Kennedy, a.k.a. the woman who probably hates everything, confirmed that he's still working on the project despite things being quiet. It turns out that just taking it a little longer than expected because he's writing the script himself, saying saying he's still working his working away, he's writing the script himself, he doesn't really want to bring others into the process, and I don't blame him. He has a very, very unique voice, so we want to protect that, and that's what he's doing, but we're going to make that one day. And I was just like... So basically, he said... Look, Kathleen, I respect you, but not really. But I don't want Disney involved in my project. They already wrecked a lot of that stuff, and I was already making fun of people in the virtual effects department, but I need to make my Star Wars movie without having executive interferences. Or you. So, yeah. Meanwhile, Assassin's Creed VR has gotten a new title and teases their full reveal at Ubisoft Forward, which also happened this weekend. Have you noticed that a lot of gaming events happened because of the lack of E3? They could have just had it at E3 and then, like, everything would have worked out. And Meta also announced they will continue to support Quest 2 after Quest 3's release date after they had officially announced the, ver the VR Quest 2 3. Uh, the next VR, they will be supporting Quest 2 for a while. Meta CTO and lead company VR AR division Andrew Boz Bosworth replies to a tweet on the Verge's Sean Hollister regarding the support for Quest 2 and the company releases Quest 3, responding that they anticipate games supporting both of them to be the standard for a little for a little while longer. The games we announced in the game showcase are all playable on both Quest 2 and 3. We expect that to remain the norm for a while. So, and now let's get into some serious topics. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. As you all know, there is the long-awaited sequel coming out, and as part of this whole process, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth has more intimate battles than ever before, Square Enix says. Confirmed for it has new characters, obviously, as well as more intimate battles compared to its predecessor. The game's fifth developer commented, comment, was revealed on Twitter with the question, how did the battle system change from Final, 7, 7, Final Fantasy VII Remake? The battle director responded, in Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, Earth new comrades would join you in battle and you could cooperate with the party with other party members and even closer ways than before. 
Many fans are speculating about which characters will join Cloud and his crew in the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, but the fan favorite is Vincent Valentine. Other potential characters include Sid, Kate, and Red 13, which has been confirmed. Endo's response is rather vague, so it's unclear what he means by players who could cooperate with party members even closer this time around. Persona like social meters to increase relationship levels, intimate fire albums, fire emblem fate, team match face petting, who knows? Yeah, IGN referenced these other games. And they also bring up the how Square Enix says you can play Final Fantasy VII Rebirth without playing the remake, and I was like, what? Saying, we have made the preparation so that players who do not get a chance to play the first game can fully enjoy Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. How the bloody hell did you do that? Like, okay, I can buy the idea that Mark Millar went ahead and wrote Big Game without having to re read the sequels because you basically have to basically be reading like over 20 different books, 20 different franchise books in order to get the understanding of what's going on for Big Game. How do you make a trilogy and somehow make the second game in that trilogy, the middle piece, somehow be noticed, be like, are you going to introduce a massive long reintroduction of what happened in Final Fantasy VII Remake when you could have just, just made the game, could have just bundled it with the original game? Wouldn't that have made more sense? Am I insane for thinking the ideas that maybe there should be some cases where you don't need to be accessible for that part? Because when you're making a trilogy, they kind of have to connect somehow. Okay. They also mention that the world of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth will be having with a high degree of freedom. And while we still don't know a ton exactly about that just yet, its director has confirmed that it will feature a multifaceted world with a high degree of freedom. So, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that in the next episode when I get more deep when I show talk about the more details that came out about it. But before we get back into that, let's finish this up one last time. DC has announced the Birds of Prey comic series by Captain Marvel writer for 50 issues Kelly Thompson and, and over the last few days have been revealing who will be the new Birds of Prey team with Black Canary. And sure enough, the roster is quite powerful. So they have Black Canary. Okay, that's expected. She is pretty much the most noticeable character. Cassandra Kane, aka Batgirl, aka the best ass-kicking Batgirl that can even beat up Batman. Hooray! So that's awesome. But we also got two interesting surprises and one that you kind of expected to happen because everyone was demanding it. Zelot, who many don't know is from the Wildstorm universe, who got integrated into the main DC universe because of convoluted nonsense, and has been currently hanging out in Wildcats' main 12-issue limited series by Matthew Rosenberg and Stefan Segova. So, looks like she's been sticking around a little bit longer and going to be hanging out with the Birds of Prey. Also, Harley Quinn is expect is joining the team because Harley Quinn is trying to be trans because they're trying to push Harley Quinn as the top as one of the top four. I feel like there should be more big pillars, but still, Harley Quinn going full on hero. Though, of course, people did wonder why not just make a Gotham City Sirens book at the same time with Catwoman and Poison Ivy with Harley, especially now since 
they're kind of in this position now where they could become full-on heroes though of course there's gonna be that gotham war with batman and catwoman soon so that's probably why but the more interesting character that shocked me that was joining was former new gods fury of dark side fury's uh big barda and our germ Stanley Lau has revealed a variant cover for it, which is awesome. So definitely I'm getting that. Birds of Prey writer Kelly Thompson said this, When I say this, this is a dream come true for me. I mean not just working on the iconic Birds of Prey title, but also the characters we were, we were able to fold in and the creative team we've assembled. Leonardo Romero and jo Jody Beller we're my first two partners in crime making superhero books, and I've already tr trying to make this happen ever since. It won't surprise me anyone to learn that they are even better than they were last time we worked together, and are working together on this wild book is pure magic. So what's Birds of Prey going to be about this time? So, so this is what the solicitation details came out with. <clears throat> In Birds of Prey, Diane Lance is one of the DC Universe's most elite fighters and combined with her sonic screen, she is a fearsome, fearsome foe in any scenario, but sometimes even the Black Canary needs help. Faced with a personal mission brought to her by her mysterious new ally and up against near impossible odds, she reforms the Birds of Prey with, with an unrivaled group. Cassandra Kane, Batgirl, Big Barda of the New Gods, Zealot of Zealot, or Zealot of, of Wildcats, and Harley Quinn of the Gotham City Sirens with only one goal extraction of their assets at any cost what could possibly go wrong well um this is well how do I say this delicately this is Harley Quinn so I'm pretty sure almost everything is going to be going wrong and especially if you need to have the freaking new god on your team anyways so she also spoke, spoke and said this also the artist Leonardo Romero said this, I couldn't be happier to announce my first monthly project for DC. With this book, I've had the opportunity to not only draw some of the most badass women in the DC universe, but also work once more with the best people in our industry, Kelly Thompson and, jo and Jody Beller. I miss the dynamic we had on Hawkeye, so I'm very excited for our team to get back together. Can't wait to show you all what we've been doing. They also updated the DC roadmap and featured a whole bunch of artwork, cover art for the upcoming event. I'm excited. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, this was the official press release that did come out, though, besides that other one I mentioned. Spinning out of the events of the Donald DC Storytelling Initiative, DC's new ongoing comic book series, Birds of Prey Debate, Debate September 5th, led by an all-star creative team featuring fan-favorite characters, series writer Kelly Thompson of Black Widow and Captain Marvel has been revealing the Birds of Prey character lineup throughout the week, teasing the leader Black Canary, joined by Cassandra Kane, Big Barda Zila, and Harley Quinn for a dangerous new mission. In her DC comic book series writing debut, Thompson has teamed with her Eisner Award-nominated Hawkeye partners in crime artists Leonardo Romero of Batman and colorist Jordi Beller of Wonder Woman, alongside Lara Clayton Cowles for the Electrifying series. I think he does for almost everything at this point, I think. So, yeah, this is going to be freaking awesome. I'm excited for it. I've been reading the Captain Marvel run from the Omnibus I recently got that I bragged about on Twitter that I bought. So I'm pretty sure I've gone insane with over the comic books and stuff I've been buying over this past week and more to come when I uh, and whatnot. But, yeah, it's 
amazing to see the Birds of Prey coming back after all this time. Like there was that Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey comic book series that was a DC Black Label imprint that more or less was just being a marketing thing for the Birds of Prey and Emancipation of Harley Quinn series movie that came out a few years back, but uh, having an in-canon, in-continuity storyline featuring this stuff, uh, it's great to see again, and I like, and I was surprised when I heard, like, Z-Lot, like, I knew she was gonna get, I, like, I figured she was probably gonna get in this somehow, because, well, she's badass and probably would fit, would probably get along with Black Canary, but Big Water was the big surprise for me, no pun intended, okay, maybe a little, because I was like, man, where, in fact, I'm curious to know where, where her uh, man thinks about this, Mr. Mi Mr. Miracle. I almost said Mr. Terrific, but then I was like, oh no, he's a totally different character. I wonder how Mr. Miracle's feeling about about the fact that Big Barda is going to be part of the Gotham of the Gotham's Birds of Prey. Harley Quinn, like I kept hearing a whole bunch of people saying their opinion on that, saying, "No, we don't want her in this." Yeah, we totally want her in this, and it's like so mixed opinion on that. Um, yeah. Oh man, props to that to all involved nonetheless. I, I'm looking forward to see what this series does and brings to the table, and I'm hoping that if it does well, it sticks around for a long while. Oh man. But that's about it for this episode. We'll be back again soon with the next edition of, of Pop Culture News Talk, Neo Reality Collective. I'll see you all again. This is your host, Eric Brown of Neo Reality Collective, Pop Culture News and Reviews Talk, host, creator of NRE, the NRE, the WrestleVerse, NRE Pop Culture Omniverse that no longer exists, and the owner of Neo Reality Entertainment. Feel free to check out my other content. If you can, follow me on Twitter. Stay tuned for this last out for this last break and outro, and we'll see you all again next time. Peace, take care, and have a good one. Peace. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa.